Last week we talked about that we're bigger than our giants. Uh, this week we're going to talk about he's dead but still deadly. When we talked about last week, we talked about he's bigger than our giants, that we talked about Christ with his ultimate sacrifice through his time, his death, and burial and resurrection. He is the one that conquered uh, the Goliath in our life, which was death. He gave us a total victory, and he also gave us, made us a way that we can live from victory versus living for victory. And that's what we had discussed last week. And as we talked about our giant, and that we're greater, we're bigger than our giant, because if you're ever going through something in your life, you'll think that your, your giant's bigger than you. And this giant here, as you see his size, nine foot, nine inch tall, you know, he represents the giant of addiction, the giant of fear, the giant of comfort, the giant of anger, the giant of insecurity. And the more we focus on our giant, the less we focus on the giant slayer, Jesus Christ. And today what we're going to do, we're going to talk about how he's dead, that we saw that David killed him, but still deadly. In the Bible, you'll see how Satan came, our enemy. We have an adversary who's interested in doing one thing, stop us in our tracks. We're going to unpack that today. And you'll see that we know that the battle is over, the victory is won, and that Jesus, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But we have an adversary, the Bible says. Now, different metaphors that the Bible uses. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden in Genesis 3, it says it was a serpent. And I'm going to talk about how a serpent could be dead, but still deadly. And I don't like snakes. I, you know, I'm from New York. I don't even like mice, let alone snakes. And snakes eat mice, so I keep the mice out of my house so I don't have no snakes. And I remember a few years ago, we were uh, getting ready for a, a, a retreat. And we went to Camp Butman, a friend of mine. And uh, we walked out. The guys were going to play football that day. I mean, a couple days from then, we walked out to look at the field. We turned around. We heard this, I heard this little shh. And I saw this little guy rise up with his head, with an attitude. Well, my friend said, Pastor Rich, I didn't know you can run that fast. <laughs> I said, yeah, you know, Peter walked on water, I walked on air. I was air rich. Got to the, I got to, the, uh, I got to the, uh, the range, I said, it's a snake, it's a snake. He said, well, where is it? I said, over there. He goes, well, you know, um, you should have stood there and told me where it was. I said, who and what? That's your job. Find them. Now, if you don't find them, we're not playing football. And we'll, in fact, we might go somewhere else where there are no snakes. He found them, beat them, killed them. But one thing about a, a snake, which I'm learning, you can kill a snake, but the head can still kill you or injure you. And that's what we're going to talk about that. He's dead, but he's still deadly. How many know we got an adversary that does not want to, us to succeed? In the kingdom of God, this, I'm going to give you a, just give me an example uh, of the how this can happen. And um, three years ago, a young man in Abilene got bit by a snake that he thought he killed. So the Abilene man still dealing with the side effects of a rattlesnake bite he sustained three years ago when he severed the head and the severed head latched onto his finger. So he killed the snake with a machete, and while he was looking for the head after his exposing his body, the worst thing imaginable happened: the snake head came up, hit him in his finger. Now he's three years later, he's still dealing with blood poison. It injured him. 
It's another one I read about on June 6, 2018. Texas man recovering after he claims the head of a rattlesnake bit him, moments after he had just cut the head off. Says a husband was reportedly bitten by a beheaded snake May 27th at his home near Corpus Christi. Two who were doing yard work, they came across a four-foot snake. He used a shovel to behead the snake, but when he went to dispose of it, to get rid of the snake's head, it bit him. Now, when I got this paper, got this off the news June 6th, they say he was still alive. Well, he just died. Dead, but still deadly. Spiritual warfare is real. The enemy is dead in our lives, but he's still deadly. And that's what we're going to spend some time unpacking that this morning. If you have your Bibles, it's another metaphor for our, for our adversary. Everyone say adversary. adversary. First, we're going to go to 1 Peter um, chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. Again, if you are trying to keep up with us, we're using the book Goliath Must Fall by Louis Giglio. Also, there's a, uh, on your Bible app, there's a devotional. And everything we're going through, a lot of us in the devotion, but we, and what God has for our church. But it's 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 9, says this. Be sober and sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in their faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, and we ask God that you open up our hearts and our minds to what the enemy's schemes are against our lives. Father, I pray right now we have a revelation of your victory, a revelation that we are victorious, a revelation that we can walk from victory, not working for victory. And Father, I ask right now that you bring healing to those who need healing, those to freedom and those who need freedom. And we praise you and we glorify you. You do your work this morning like you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now you see Apostle Peter using this metaphor as a lion, a roaring lion. Verse, verse 8 says, be sober-minded, which means let's pay attention, be alert, that we know we have an adversary who's there to stop us in our tracks, stop the glory of God being used in your life. He says also, be watchful, which means, and in the, in the, when you translate, it means to wake up. Be watchful, like Jesus told him, I need you to watch with me, I need you to pray with me, so you will not fall victim to the temptations of the devil. Now, here's a saying I heard from a friend of mine in Tennessee. He said, when we don't pray, we become prey. When we don't pray, we become prey. And then he goes into this, uh, some effort. He says, verse 8, he's the one to devour us, which means when you translate, it means wants to drink, us, drink down, to swallow, to drown. See, our enemy that we have, our adversary, he wants to completely drown and swallow your testimony, swallow your Christianity, swallow your victory. But he also says this. His job and what he wants to do, guys, he wants to destroy God's work in you, God's glory being prevailed through you. Not attacking you. It's our first point. It says this Satan's scheme is to stymie God's word, God's will for your life. What was going on in that story, the very first part of David, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, when David came on the scene, 
we saw something. They were already armed, ready to go. But something took place. He was screaming at them. He was demoralizing them. He was frightening them. And he, they forgot they were part of the Lord's army. They forgot they were part of the undefeated person, God himself. He became bigger than their God, and he stopped them in their tracks. Every day we get up, we have an adversary trying to stop whatever God has put in your heart to do that day. It's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. Though he's been destroyed, though he's been neutralized, he has an adversary. They have, he has adversarial things called deception. He wants to stop us in our track. He was any means possible. I love Ephesians 6, 11 says this, that put on the, he wants, God wants us every day when we get up, put on the whole armor of God that you may be withstand against the schemes of the devil. And he says that armor consists of the belt of truth. Putting everything you have on you, the truth holds everything together in your life. The breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith to stop the fiery darts that continue to fly at us. The fiery darts that will fly from head to toe. One thing about our love is the helmet of salvation. You ever been through something so intense that you start to say, God, did I do something wrong? Am I, am I even saved? Because your helmet and salvation is not on tightly. He can get into your mind. That's where he enters your mind to get to your heart. And the sword of the spirit, the only offensive weapon we have is the sword of the spirit, our Bibles. That's his scheme to stymie God's will for your life. See, God has a plan, a life, a plan for every one of our lives. Every one of you have a plan on your life from God. Every one of us. God's will in you is being attacked, not you. I want you to hear this because you can start taking it personal. It has nothing to do with you. All the way from Genesis 3.15 when Adam and Eve fell and he came, came across and God came down, says, I have a plan. Genesis 3.15 is the first time you hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The seed of the woman is going to crush your skull and you're going to bruise his heel. What God was saying, I declare war on you, Satan. Whatever you've taken is going to come back to me. Sooner or later, my agent is Jesus Christ himself. I declare war. What happens? We're in the middle of that war. We represent the very glory of God. Not animals, not fish. We do. We represent the very glory of God. So if I can destroy the glory of God, the plan of God, I haven't. But he can't destroy when we remember he's already been destroyed. I love Texas, and sometimes I don't like Texas in the heat, and I have to cut my land. And you run into these gnats after it rains. You ever see them gnats? They get in your head. They get in your ears. Oh, get in your nose. And you go, and you want to take a shower, but you can't because you only halfway cut the grass. That's what enemy does. Gets in your mind. Gets underneath your skin. Oh, you have a plan from God? It's never going to flourish. Your ministry is going to stale right. It's going to stop right now. That plan that you want to reach teenagers in your life, it's not going to happen because you're not good enough. God is not good enough. You're not good enough. He doesn't care about you. 
Anything he can do to destroy and get into your mind, he does that. Why? Because all 90% of warfare is deception. Warfare is nothing but deception to deceive you. We're not this, we can tell something when it's ugly and gross. But he doesn't, he takes, he fights us from good to great in our lives. So if we can sidetrack you from the glory of God by following what is good, and I tell you this all the time, I heard it again the other day, we can be so strong on, on working on stuff that don't count and weak on the things that do count. And his job is to make sure that we struggle on the things that don't count. Like even when our children, trying to raise our children, we ask them, okay, we want them to do something fantastic in the world, but he'll send someone down your way. Put them in a lot of sports because they'll look forward to them doing things, but not in the Bible. Or they can hit home runs. They can dunk the basketball, but they don't know the Bible. But it's all good because they're sports stars, and they're going to make it. No, that's a vehicle for glory. It's not the, it's not the destiny in their lives. But we can, I make them so busy, they don't have time to pray. I'm so busy. Aren't you? Are you really? Really? Maybe you just need to wake up early. And he gets in there, and then he gets to working. Whatever your insecurity is, he starts playing that note. I don't think I'm pretty enough. Bang, 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 bang. I'm not anointed enough. Bang. Bing, 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 bing. Lately, we'll be saying whatever hope you had is extinguished and no one cares. But bing, bing, how many suicides did we have this week? How many suicides have we been experiencing? When I can dance on that tone, on that note of, of hope and make you hopeless and make you separated, I'll let you extinguish your And one of the greatest and the richest places on the planet is the graveyard. Because that's where all God's plans that weren't fulfilled go if we don't go where God goes, tells us to go. So this way he does his scheme, his attack us. He wants to ruin us and impact the gospel in our world. We know we're here. Our job, our area in life is to share the goodness of God. In all everything that we do. In 1 Samuel 17, 9, you see that he was screaming at him. He was demoralizing him. He was stopping him. They, they forgot, I'm the Lord's army. This guy is an uncircumcised Philistine. He can't win. Our God has already given us the victory. Where are the guys that God has elected to take over? And they forgot. David remembered that when he showed up. Here I have, we have all the authority from God Almighty to take out this king. But they forgot. Because he does that. He'll make you forget. You got anything stopping you? Your plans? Demoralizing you? Paralyzing you? Yelling at you that you'll never make it? It's not going to work? Your marriage is not going to make it? My, this is not, my kids aren't going to do well? Life is just not, you got that screaming at you? Until you stop and you're paralyzed on one, the valley represents your destiny. And you're stuck on the cliff. And it happens a lot. He's good at it to deceive us with what we got. So when we look at that, in verse 9, he said this. He's screaming, look, guys, if you can't destroy me, you're going to be my servants. And you're going to serve me 
all the days of my life. Isn't that like a giant in your life? You can't beat me, so you might as well serve my, serve my giant. I'm going to serve my addiction. I'm going to serve my anger. I'm going to serve all those things that are wrong with me or that I'm dealing with. All my giants become bigger, and I start to worship them versus worshiping the giant slayer. And that's his job. I want to stop you from doing what God has called you to do. If I can stop you from doing what God called you to do, I will win. And it's all a smoke screen. Next week, we're going to deal with the issue of fear. See, you got to remember, guys, God's plan for your life is for everyone in your life. God's plan for your life is for everyone in your life. How many parents I got sitting here? You know what your number one plan is? Disciple your children. God's plan for your life in the season of your life, if you have young children, is to be a disciple of your children. That's the plan. It's always for other people. It's never for me. It's not about me. It's about the glory of God in me and the glory of God in you. It's not attacking you. He's attacking the God's will in you because you're all valuable. And let me tell you about warfare. They don't waste time on non-valuable targets. So if you're walking through something right now, you're a valuable target. And he is worried that you got up this morning. So what does he do? He unpacks it for us in verse 9. He says, resist them, firm in your faith. When he means firm in your faith, he wants you to have a settled faith. Now, you see that we're not commanded to run, but to resist, to fight, but not flee. Now, how we fight is a lot different. Can I say this? This is my caveat. God is stronger than Satan. This is not Star Wars, the force, and Luke. God is so much stronger than Satan. God is so much stronger than this giant. Now, his job is to convince us that he's bigger than God. And when he does, he puts God in a different light in our lives. But how do we go about resisting the enemy? How do we keep him stepping on that venomous head of, of anger, venomous head of fear, venomous head of insecurity, that venomous head? How do I stop from doing that? Here's what he said here. This is the next point. You draw near to God's word and his people. James 4, 7 and 8 says this. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Next. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now here's a couple things here. He's saying this. Let's leave our self-sufficiency and let's become God-sufficient. When you submit to God, what you're doing is saying, I submit to the leader, to the king, and now I'm going to fight in his army. I'm going to fight in his warfare. I'm not doing it on my own. We got to get past this thing. I was born again, or I went to victory weekend, and I'm healed and I'm delivered. And then, God, you, you, I have the rest of my life to myself. And I only come to you when I need something or when I'm in trouble. 
versus coming to God. I want, I want to trouble God for other people, not keep coming because I'm in trouble. Because he said to live from victory, not for victory. So what it is, he says, you have to submit, which is hard because we're self-sufficient. You know, men, I'm working it out until, you know, I'm gonna, until I get it right. I'm going to get it done. And he'll use that when you say, I'm going to just work it out. He'll put you by yourself so you can work it out. And then you're gone by yourself and you're with a long ranges. How many long ranges we got? I can handle it just me and God. And you're separated. He'll say, you know, them people haven't called you in three weeks. They can care less about you. Oh, you know, you're right. Pick you off. Deception. Deception. Versus being God sufficient. You have all the tools I need to win. And I need you. Here's what I told someone in the first service. People say this, guys, uh, you know, Christianity is like a crutch. No, it's like a wheelchair, bro. I need God in everything I need. And apart from, my, apart from him, it's nothing good. And I can do nothing apart from him. That's why I love, the, I love that scripture, my favorite scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How am I weak? Being needy. How am I strong? By being needy. How am I weak? By trying to be strong on my own. Self-sufficiency to God's sufficiency. Now, you see a, a theological reality here that he'll draw near to you. But here's a, here's a, uh, here's a practical response. I got to draw near to him first. Now, we can't always want the promise before we do the responsibility of the promise. You draw near to God, he's going to draw near to you. But if you don't draw near to God... Or his word, that's why I use his word, because they're going to look at some story here, Jesus. Remember Jesus, he got tempted, got born, I mean, he got baptized, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and said that spirit led him into the uh, to wilderness. Spirit led him into them. Now, when you read that story, don't look at it like, oh, you know, poor Jesus. No, Jesus went into the wilderness looking for a fight. He did. He said, look. Adam fell. He was blessed. He had everything. I haven't ate for 40 days. I had no water for 40 days. Okay, a new Adam is in town, and I am here to take over. I'm about to take the keys back from the enemy. So he went looking for a fight. Why? Because he was full of the Spirit. Do you know you go through the Spirit? You go through the wilderness because God wants to perfect you. We love pampering love, don't we? We're not too, we don't cheer much about God's perfecting love. And where do most of your perfecting come from? The wilderness. It says in some translations, the wild beasts were with him. And all Jesus used was God's word. It's in Matthew 4 4. <laughs> well, here's it is. Basically, guys, devil, man is not supposed to eat. Bread alone, but every word from God's every word from God is what I live off. He basically translation. I'm not supposed to use my word. Tell him to get lost. I can use God's word. Now he doesn't like it when you get close to God because he wants you to flee the other direction. God doesn't love me. God doesn't want to do enough. He don't want you to do that. But when you go close to God, he has to read. Oh, I don't like that. I can't stand that. Don't read that Bible. Don't pray. Don't do any of that. Please don't do that because my ears start to ringing because he knows the word too. And Oh, don't, don't quote it correctly because I, like I like to flip it so it's all about me. He said, no, I'm going to give it to you. It's all about you, God, Jesus. 
got down. He said, okay, I'm going to show you all these. Is all I want you to serve me all the days. And Jesus said, look, devil, get away from me. You need to flee right now. Guess what? I'm supposed to worship my God all my days and only serve him. What does it say? Devil left. So they have more opportune time. He'll come back for opportune time, but I'm going to be more in the word. So he left. How did he fight? The word. What he did was what Matthew 28, 18 says. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me for you. He took the authority back. Adam fell. The second Adam is not going to fall. Second Adam has created freedom for all his people to pass through that wilderness together. He fell. Jesus didn't fall. I'm looking for a fight. He was anointed. You anointed? So there's no battle. Use that word. I love the great E.V. Hill. And when it was 1996, when we had the promise keepers, 50,000 men, he said, you got to hit him. You got to hit that devil. You got to hit him. And he said, what do you mean hit him? Hit him with the word. It is written. It is written. Boom. Mike Tyson, that bad boy. He said, you got to hit him. So all the guys were screaming, hit him, hit him, hit him, hit him. And we didn't know nothing about the word until we learned it. But he said, you fight with the word. My word has no authority. Jesus' word has all authority. He says, all authority has been given to me. Who? You, 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 you. You don't have to call me in the middle of the night. Call the name of Jesus and you shall be saved. You shall be delivered. You shall be healed. You got, the, you got it inside of you. He's not bigger. The only thing he's big, he's easy to hit. My anger is easy to see. I can hit it. My addiction is easy to see, so I can hit it. My fear is easy to see, so I can hit it. And I don't need a sword, a human sword, or a spear. I just got the word of God. I'm going to slice you up. I'm going to slice that anger up. I'm going to slice that addiction up. I'm going to slice that, all that up. You got to get out of here. You got to go. I got things to do. People to win to Jesus. This is about. Not called to lose. And we're not called to celebrate our failures. Called to worship God. Him only. He left. And you start doing that in your house. You just open the window because every demon that's in there is running out. Amen. You start laying hands on the doorpost. You start to speak. You start going ballistic. They got to go. It'll be like a breeze. I'm out of here. Let me go find me an undefended house. Why? Because all scripture points to Jesus. See, our victory is more about trusting and less about trying. I'll try, like we used to teach this. If you have your, your slingshot, you try harder. And I got to trust more. Philippians, I mean, Proverbs 3, 5 says this. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding because you won't understand it. You won't understand why you wake up oppressed. You won't understand why you wake up depressed. You won't understand why you're angry. You won't understand why you have these urges that's messing with you. But I know who does understand. The one who understands his name is Jesus. I'm going to call on his name every morning. 
So when I call on his name, someone has to go. It ain't me. Why? We know the story, guys. He dies at the end. We know the story at the end of the book. Satan is not here. He's defeated. Really defeated. So we got to stop trying. Now let's get to the people part. Submit to God's word. Draw near to God's word and his people. So we got to stop trying to do things on our own. Long ranges. I watch the National Geographic all the time. And I watch how lions take out prey. They're all by themselves. They want now the herd, like the wildebeest, the herd will get in the middle and let, let a lion come up there. And it will take them out because they're all together. But they look for the weak one and the one on the end. And they just wait. They just wait for you to disconnect from people and disconnect from that Bible. He just wait. I got time because they represent five generations. I got time. Just wait. We want you to get offended at other people. He wants you to disconnect from the Bible. He wants you to disconnect from God's people. That's his plan. He don't have, a, he don't have another plan. Because I got to separate him from that which will kill me. And when I'm separated from that which will give me life, he has the opportunity to kill me. To steal, level one. Kill, level two. Destroy, level three. Steal, kill, destroy. John 10.10. 10. He's good at it. But God's better at it. What he's talking about here, guys, he said, you know, guys, what I need you to do is to, knowing that in verse 9 of 1 Peter 5 he says, knowing that the same kind of suffering is being experienced by your brotherhood, throughout the world. I want to give you a hint. Some of the things with people when it comes to connecting with churches and, and with other body of Christ, he uses this deception that everyone who comes here is perfect. And since you're not perfect, you won't fit. And I, there's a sermon series a friend of mine is doing in Houston and it says this, there's no perfect people allowed in this place. Because if you sit there on your left and you talk about anger, next, we're going to talk about fear next week. The person going to sit on you and say, I deal with the same thing. When we talk about going to life groups, not for you to be disconnected, but you need to have whatever that is to share with someone else who wants to share with you and strengthen you. What is that? The brotherhood gives you encouragement. And he goes against the brotherhood. He goes against us connecting fully. He wants us to have a, a one, hour, half hour, one hour, half week by just coming here and hearing something and going home and be by myself. And he will play on that, especially if you, think you're an, if you think you're an introvert. He'll play on that. He says, all I got to do is keep you separate. He'll find that one thing, that one thing that you know is your weakness, he'll play those chords. That's why the gospel's tough. It exposes all things, doesn't it? It exposes your prejudice. It exposes so many things. He let me play that. They're not going to along with people. Let me put, make people a nuisance to them. They won't connect. They won't go to life group. They won't come. To, they won't go to men's breakfast. They won't go to women's breakfast. I got them by, and then bam. It's his job. I can distract you long enough to destroy you. That's his job. 
one thing when you get with the brotherhood. You need to be able to confess. Confess, don't conceal it. That which is concealed gives power to darkness. That which is confessed is releasing. When the enemy came after Jesus, he told the guys, look guys, enemy of day is coming right now. He has nothing on me. Does everyone know your weaknesses? Does anybody know your strengths? That which is a weakness and you conceal gives power in the darkness. When you're by yourself, that thing will eat at you, will eat at you, will eat at you. That addiction will eat at you, will eat at, fear will eat at you and eat at you. As we start next week talking about fear. But here's the beginning. You got to get in a group. You got you to you submit to God and get with his people because that's the only way he did it. Jesus could have did it all by himself. Why would he take 12 guys in practice and put them together? 12 guys changed the world. They had to learn to trust one another, live together. They're all different. But he knew that's the only way to do it. That's the walls of protection. There's no such thing as a long ranger. That's the movie. And the last time they tried to remake that movie, it failed. Praise God. It loses power when you, when you confess it. Now I'm going to end with this. Victory begins by changing my mind, by changing the way I think. The way I think about God when I'm in his word. When I start reading the word, he starts renewing my mind. And what it means by renewing my mind, he starts to show me the way God thinks, and I start thinking the way God thinks. Then I get with other people who are on the same journey as me. We had one of those full weekends, but I tell you, I did a wedding on Friday, and I ran to another preacher, and after the wedding was over, we were preaching to one another. I was like, yeah, I cannot wait to Sunday. Why? Because we're in the same, we're doing the same thing. It's my brother. It's my sister. Doesn't matter where he's from. When we get in group, when we get with one another, it mixes it up. You might miss something. It's amazing. One of the guys told me, he said, what is this ministry you're about? Remember? Pastor Kevin. He, and he got up, and Ms. Don said, let's have breakfast Saturday morning. So we had missionaries from uh, Canada and a pastor and his son driving up from um, Arizona going to Alabama. And then we're sitting there eating breakfast, and his son found out that he knew my son, who knew was another person. They're all going to this wedding. He said, and I told him, you know what it's about? This. He said, man, hospitality is like, no, we're family. That's what family does. Why? Now, changes my perspective. Because all I want sometimes is just to preach and go home. But that energizes me. Let's all stand. Changing the way we think. Worship changes the way we think. What we're going to do is worship. Some of you have come in with some giants in your eyes, some, some odds that you think you can't beat. 
and you needed to hear that you, you already won. But you need someone to come alongside and help you get past this day or the next day. Walked in with some insurmountable odds in your life. What we want to do now before we go into worship, we want to pray for you. That's you. Just come up front so we can pray for you. So, Pastor Rich, I, I got some giants. It's, I mean, it's staring me right in the face. I mean, I, it doesn't, and there's no shame in that. First thing I said, we have to learn to confess that we have an issue. So we don't give any more light to the devil to play on my issue. Because that's what he does. He enumerates it in darkness and when I'm, by my, when I'm alone. And says, I'm not perfect. And no one's going to care and everyone's going to laugh. Who cares what looks at me? You want to be free? You want to be prayed for? Come on down. Anyone else before we pray? What we're going to do, we're going to pray as we're praying. Come on up. Got some leaders that can come up and put some come behind them. Anybody? While we're praying, I want you guys to stay up here and worship God. At altar of God's where all he flows out. And it's about focusing and holding our lives on Jesus. The greatest thing you gotta remember, you're greater than your giant. You're bigger than he is. And Jesus already knows in your heart before you even pray what you're praying for and what you're battling. He already knows it. And since he knows it, he's already working on it. And I want to say this to every one of you, you are not a failure because you have an issue. God loves you. That thing I told you, what he extends to you is grace. Grace. Father, I thank you for the grace that's being extended to these people, right? these families right now. Your grace that overwhelms us and surrounds us, that captures our hearts. Your grace that takes that which is struggling me and you remove it and you release it into your glory. Father, I thank you. Everyone here, realize, I realize everyone here represents your very glory. The plans and the callings of God on each and every one of their lives will not be altered or not unattainable. The Father, your promises are yes and amen. And I thank you, Lord God, for those who are standing here, God, who trust you, bless you, meet them where they are in the intersection. The Father, take them where you want them to go. We praise you. We're in awe of your love. We're in awe of your grace. We're in awe of your mercy. No longer I'm going to be all of my problems. I'm going to be all of, I have all for your greatness. You create the heavens and you create the earth. You set the seas in order. You hold them back from falling out. You put the stars intricately inside in the heavens. You do all things well. Those were good, but you have created each and every one of them who we declare right now is very good. They're very good. Very good moms, very good students, very good adults. Bless them right now. Wash them with your word. Wash them with your love. Wash them with your grace. We thank you and we trust you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's worship. You stay right here and worship God along with those behind you.